We're going to continue on in this series we've been in, in the book of Romans, and uh, I'm excited. We're, remember, we're reading Romans backwards, and so we did Romans 16, and now we're going to look at Romans 14 and 15 this morning. If we're going to understand Romans, though, we need to understand Paul's heart. Paul was the one who wrote Romans, and I think if we're going to understand why Paul did what he did and said what he said, we need to understand his heart, his mission. In order to understand why I preach the things I do, you got to understand my calling and the mission and what God's placed upon my heart and my life. Same goes for my brother Benjamin. All we got a sermon to preach. If you want to know his heart, you'll understand why he does what he does. Same for Christina and for Tanya and for others in our church that share. And so when we think about Paul, like why did Paul talk about the things he did? Why did Paul do what he did? Why did Paul... Engage in this conversation with the Romans. What did he believe God had called him to do? Well, Paul had a lofty goal with his life. His basic mission was to go and establish diverse churches in the Roman Empire made up of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free, adults and children, rich and poor, and everybody in between. Paul truly believed that the gospel obliterated the boundaries and hierarchies that separate us. A classic quote from Paul that many of you have probably heard, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. He says, so in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have been clothed, has closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. From my understanding of Paul's life, it appears that Paul believed this deep down. And he gave his life, literally, to establish communities of faith that brought together diverse peoples as one in Christ Jesus. As you can imagine, Paul's mission was easier to talk about than to actually achieve. Establish diverse churches, that's a lofty goal, right? It's easier said than done. I'm confident that every church that Paul helped start faced conflict. And one conflict in particular that kept arising over and over again was this conflict between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. Now, when I say Jewish Christians, I'm talking about ethnic Jews or Jewish converts, people who followed the Torah, which is what we call the Jewish law, they observed the Sabbath, they observed the holy days, they practiced circumcision. And they followed those strict dietary laws, yet they also at the same time followed Jesus. When I talk about Gentile Christians, I'm basically referring to all the other folks that decided to give their lives to Jesus and follow in his way, but were not Jewish. They would have come from other ethnic groups, they would have had other religious practices, and they would not have followed the Torah. But they were all seeking to follow Jesus. When the, many of the Jews started following Jesus, they didn't often stop going to the synagogue. They kept practicing the laws that they had in their book, and they kept doing these things. And so these two groups, these Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, they had a whole lot of conflict with each other as they tried to live in Christian community together. And much of the content of Paul's letters, Romans included, is to help these groups find common ground with each other and learn to live together and support each other and work together around common mission and purpose in our world. This was Paul's mission, to bring together 
people, a diverse people around a common purpose of sharing Christ with the world. Paul was smart, though. He knew that he couldn't just tell two groups that were so different to just get along with each other. I don't know if y'all ever try to do that with your kids. Just get along. It's like not that easy, right? You got you to gotta have strategy. You've got to talk to them about the importance of it. You've got to get down to conversations of values and beliefs about who we are. So Paul needed to provide reasons that these two groups should come together as one. He needed to help both of these groups and everybody see that God's original plan from the start was to bring all people together under the lordship of Jesus. That's what so much of the theology in Romans is all about, helping these two groups figure out how they're going to live together in love. And this, I believe, is why Paul wrote the letters of Rome, letter of Romans. It seems that there were some serious tensions between some factions within these house churches in Rome. You see evidence of these tensions and conflicts all throughout the letter of Romans. I want to remind you of an important event that happened before the letter of Romans was written. In AD 49, the emperor at the time, Claudius, issued an edict that expelled Jews from Rome. They were forced to live as refugees in a foreign land for a period of time. They were away from Rome for probably around five years. During that time, the churches in Rome switched from being largely Jewish Christians to now mostly Gentile Christians. So while the Jewish Christians were gone, the Gentile Christians naturally would have to figure out how are we going to lead these churches? What homes are we going to meet in? And so the leadership was turned over to them. Now when Claudius died, the Jews were invited to come back by the emperor who came after him. And so many of these Jewish Christians returned back to their house churches, these places that they had left. Now imagine when they showed back up, these churches didn't look the same, did they? They were now led by largely Gentile Christians. And these Gentile Christians likely didn't know the Jewish scriptures very well, if at all. They ate non-kosher foods, and they lived lives that looked very different from the Jews. Also, these returning Jews likely had very little resources and were in a pretty tough spot. And so naturally, conflicts emerged from this reality. The returning Jewish Christians and the remaining Gentile Christians had to learn to live together in unity. Now in Rome, it seems that there were conflicts around two main issues, food and Sabbath. Now I want to focus specifically on food today. It's not just because I like food, but food was important then and it's important now. The Jewish people had very strict dietary laws that determined what they could eat and what they could not eat. And many Jews today still abide by many of these laws. The Jews would only eat certain types of food that was prepared in very specific ways. And Jews were often ridiculed and viewed with suspicion because of these dietary restrictions. We have people today that we look at and view with suspicion and we ridicule because they are different than the norm. The Jews were viewed that way in the Roman Empire everywhere they went. In Rome, it would have been very difficult for a Jewish family to follow their dietary laws. They would have had a really hard time doing it, particularly when it came to eating meat because Jews did not eat pork, yet in the capital city of Rome, pork was the most common meat that was eaten. And so they would have a hard time just finding other meats to eat. If they showed up to somebody's home for dinner, good chance there's going to be pork on the table. 
Also, they're certainly not going to eat any animal meat that's been involved in any kind of sacrifice to the Roman gods, which was often a common practice in Rome. And so some Jewish Christians decided, we're not going to eat any meat at all. We're just going to eat vegetables and herbs, and that's it, because we're not going to risk um, eating something that goes against what we believe and what's important to us. And because they knew it would be too hard to determine whether this food was kosher or not. And so let's imagine a Jewish family returning to Rome, a Jewish Christian family, after living as refugees for multiple years in another place. They go and they connect to the local house church in their neighborhood. The Christians in the early church, they would always eat together. That was a common practice. Everywhere, every time they met, they would share the Lord's Supper. But sharing the Lord's Supper also meant that they would share a full meal together. Sharing meals brought people together like it does today. We eat a meal every week at the gathering. It brings us together better than probably anything else could. We're having to pass over the, can you pass the bread? We're having to share with one another. We also make sure nobody is left out and has enough food and no one's hungry. So imagine a Jewish Christian family showing up to a Gentile home for the church service. They're going to worship and pray and they're going to share food together. They see on the table a spread of all types of food, some of it clearly not kosher, and they wouldn't know if the rest of it was. What do they do? For a Jewish Christian who followed the Torah, they would have to politely turn down the food of their host. Perhaps this family was even hungry because they were poor and they didn't have a lot of food, and they went to the church hoping they're going to get fed, and they see that all the food's there, but they can't eat any of it. That's going to be a hard situation for them, right? I wonder how they would feel. Disappointed? Maybe confused? Maybe offended? Maybe appalled at what's happened to their church since they've been away? What has happened to this place? Look what they're doing. Now let's imagine how the Gentile Christians might have felt. They prepared all this food for their guest in their home, and their guest refused to eat it, even though they clearly are hungry. Like, you're not going to eat my food? What's up with that? Perhaps they thought the Jewish Christians were ungrateful, odd, petty, misguided. Have you invited someone over to your home and, and to eat and they wouldn't eat your food? That didn't happen often, but I had a guy show up at my house once and he had gone to Burger King on his way over and, and he ate his Burger King as we're preparing the food. I'm like, dude, what are you, you can't eat Burger King? Like, it's weird, man. I made food for you, you know? It doesn't feel good. Like, that's rejection that nobody likes to receive. The Jewish Christians believed their scriptures taught them to only eat certain foods prepared in very specific ways. Some of them were looking upon the Gentiles in judgment, assuming they were not as committed to the Bible as them and that they were less holy or less committed to following God. The Gentile Christians believed the gospel gave them freedom to eat whatever they wanted, and it seems that some of them were doing just that, eating whatever they wanted at their communal meals, which meant that the Jewish Christians were excluded and not welcome at the table. And so you can see how these strong convictions from each side resulted in both groups having conflict. And what ultimately happened, and this is really the the deepest part of it, it hindered them from being in community together. If they couldn't eat together, how can they be the family of God? If a family can't share a meal around a table, are they really a family, right? This was much deeper. This was much deeper than just food preference. This was something that had the potential to divide and destroy the early church. And what was Paul's mission? To bring people together. 
And so in chapters 14 and 15 of Romans, Paul spends a lot of words addressing the conflict between these two groups. And he uses the term weak and strong to refer to these two groups. Now, my belief, and people debate this, but I believe that the terms weak and strong refer to actual groups within these house churches in Rome. And specifically, the weak were predominantly Jewish Christians, and the strong are predominantly Gentile Christians. I'm going to read a section of it so you'll see what I'm talking about. And when you see weak, think of this predominantly Jewish Christian group. When you see strong, think of the predominantly Gentile group. And it doesn't actually mention strong, but he's speaking to the strong folks in this verse, or these verses. So to the strong ones, he says, accept the faith, the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So in these verses, Paul speaks directly to the strong or the Gentile Christians. And he told them to accept the weak and stop fighting over disputable matters. And he goes on to tell both groups to stop judging each other, which he repeats many times in the rest of the chapter. And as you read through chapters 14 and 15, I encourage you to do it. You're going to notice that the basic direction from Paul is that both groups stop judging each other and respect each other's convictions. And here's the pretty interesting thing. In, in Romans, Paul does not expect everybody to be on the same page. He understands that people are going to disagree over these convictions, which were actually pretty important. We talk about whether you eat this type of food. This was deep stuff for these folks. So he doesn't expect everyone to be on the same page, but Paul does expect everyone to be loving and accepting of each other. Two verses sum up Paul's instructions to these Christians in Rome. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So he said, let's make every effort to do what is going to lead to peace. The shalom is the Hebrew word. And to mutual building up of one another. Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another, therefore just as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. It's important to point out that in these verses, most of Paul's instruction is directed to who he calls the strong. Now, I need to point out that the Greek for the word strong is better translated as powerful. And this is agreed upon by a lot of folks, yet for some reason the translators continue to put weak and strong. The common English Bible, I believe, gets it right. Paul says in Romans 15, we who are powerful need to be patient with the weakness of those who do not have power. And not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for the good in order to build them up. I think using terms like powerful and those without power makes sense when we understand the context. The Gentile Christians would have had more power and privilege and status than the Jews would have in Rome. The Jews were recently exiled. They were often misunderstood and persecuted and viewed with suspicion. The Gentile Christians 
many of them would have had more status and power in that world. And Paul challenges the ones with the more privilege and the more power to use their power and privilege to build up and to welcome and to bring peace and unity and work for equality. The people in those house churches with privilege and power are asked by Paul to make sacrifices and really make more sacrifices and strive hard to welcome and include those with less power. And he even asked them to change their practices and eating habits to make sure that the Jewish Christians felt comfortable and were welcome at the table when they shared their meals together. So he said, hey, when they're coming, what's food to you? Like, what, You eat pork with them, yet you're also damaging a relationship and causing harm to another person. And so he's calling those with that privilege to make that sacrifice and to not eat the pork when those folks are around. And I think this is very relevant for us today. I wonder what sacrifices we need to make in community here at Embrace so that we can ensure that folks are included and that everybody kind of feels like they can be welcome here and have a a church that is going to be safer for them and a place where they can fully just live out their faith and try to seek after God. I want you to hear Scott McKnight's words about this. He says, Paul's biggest and best question for the strong as well for the weak as this one. With whom did you dine last night? And he'll press it further. Are the strong dining with the weak or not? Yes or no? And McKnight argues that that's the question, and the whole book of Romans rides on that question as the heart of lived theology. Who is welcome at your table? What sacrifices ought we make it embrace to include others in our community? How big is our table? You know, we talk about the Lord's table here, and I believe the Lord got a big old table. <laughs> Heard someone say that, you know, we have this idea of a big tent whereby you can fit under the tent. And she was like, I prefer the image of a big table, you know, because big tents, often you see people kind of on the outside. A table, it's like you're going you're gonna to just squish in as much as you can. You can scoot over, share chairs if you need to, but there's... We all have a big table. Uh, There was a song saying at Valentina Liz's wedding called The Crowded Table. I want to have a crowded table where everybody has a place around that table. And that's ultimately a vision that I want us to hold on to. And I think this is a vision that Paul is casting in Romans. He's casting a vision for a table big enough and welcoming enough where everybody who shows up can have a seat. Can our table seat more people? Or is it only going to include certain types of folks? that we feel comfortable being around, or people who are like us, or think like us, or look like us, or come from the same places as we do. And we got to think about what we got to do, just like Paul was challenging those in Romans, what we got to do to make sure that people feel that love and welcome that Christ is wanting to offer them. Paul also talks about we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And some folks may not ever feel and know Christ's love because we have not shown it to them. And a divided body is going to have a hard time showing love, right? Because if the hand's over here doing one thing and the foot's leading you in another direction, you're in trouble, right? That's going to be confusing. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to move in the same direction together. So let me read Romans 15:7 one more time, for it might be the best summary, I think, of Paul's hope for the Roman churches. He says, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.